Delighted to see you tonight as we begin our midweek service and welcome those who are with us on the live streaming. We want to begin our service by singing hymn number 84, uh, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. Uh, God is indeed a powerful God. We need to rejoice in that because if he weren't, we would be in trouble. We would be in big trouble. We need a mighty God to undertake in our lives and the various things that that confront us in life and not only in our personal lives, our families, our cities, our, our nation. I sing the mighty power of God. Hymn number 84. Are you doing okay tonight? Yes. Doing okay. It's good to see you all. And let's stand together as we sing this. Hymn number 84. So we're into this last, uh, last lesson from chapter 4 in Flavel's book on overcoming or triumphing over sinful fear. And if you'll remember, there are three kinds of fear. There's the natural fear that is the, the result of our, our fall into sin. We all know because we do wrong that we deserve to be punished. Everybody knows you deserve to be punished for what you do wrong. And it began with Adam and Eve and it goes right away through. We already know that if we do something wrong, uh, we're driving too fast on the highway and we see that that black and white car with the, with the bubblegum things on top that we, we hit the brakes and slow down or, or take our foot off the gas usually, right? Uh, we just know. If we're gonna, we, don't get, uh, we don't want to get in trouble because we know we probably deserve it, right? So we, uh, we have to be careful about that. So that's, but natural fear, that's just something that every one of us experiences. And then I'm going to skip over to the third one, and that is religious fear or the fear of God. And that is where we recognize that God is all-powerful and God is almighty and God is overall sovereign over everything, and we're not afraid of Him because He's our loving Father, and so we run to Him instead of running away from Him. From Him, but then we've been talking for the last three weeks. Now this is the third week that deals with causes of sinful fear, which is that third kind of fear, and that's the kind of fear that makes us want to run away from God rather than run to God. We want to run away from God because we know we're guilty and we don't want to be punished and we want to handle things ourselves and we don't want to submit to God and there are reasons we don't want to do that. And so we've been talking about that. And the the six that we talked about are ignorance, guilt, unbelief, confession. Tonight we're going to get into immoderation and we're going to get into the last one that deals with Satan and his lies. And so let's just review quickly and uh, the thing about ignorance. Again, ignorance does not mean that you are silly or stupid or dumb or you don't know anything. But there is a time when we kind of become ignorant and we kind of forget who God is. That He is good, that He is gracious, that He is kind, that He is loving, that He's our Father and He wants what's best for us. And because we're ignorant of who God is, we think of Him as being mean and oppressive and, and an ogre and... And, and judgmental and harsh. And so therefore we say, I don't want anything to do with him. And uh, that's why I think sometimes uh, we, we run this danger. Uh, parents, we've got to be careful. As we, as we bring up our children, we've got to show them love as well as discipline. Uh, because they get, this, get it in their heads that parents and God are always just out to get them and to catch them and to doing things. Uh, I remember a time in my life when I felt like somebody was always around the corner just waiting to catch me. And get me to get me in trouble for something. It was like they were hiding in bushes around, and I was going to get nailed for something. But that's not the way God is. He loves us, and He wants what's best for us. And so we can trust Him, and we can go to Him. 
that ignorance gets us in trouble. Then there's that truth about other people where sometimes we look at other people and we think they're better than us, they're smarter than us, they're better looking than us, and uh, we get intimidated by them, not knowing that probably they're just as looking at us thinking the same thing, they're better looking than me, and I'm intimidated by them, and uh, forgetting the fact that other people are really just other people like you and me. We all have different stations in life, we have different callings in life, we have different gifts and abilities in life, but every one of us, if we pinch each other, we all say, ouch. If we poke each other, we all bleed. If we punch each other in the nose, we all have trouble, right? And so we're all human beings, and, uh, and we respect other people in their positions, but we recognize that they are just human beings, and we don't really need to live in fear of them. But that causes us sometimes to sin, because we're afraid we're going to get in trouble with other people. And then we're ignorant about the truth about ourselves, and we, we think of ourselves Sometimes there are people who just are constantly pushing themselves down and they have uh, an inferiority complex and they feel like they're nothing. And I know people like this. And they, they just always kind of walk around like a dog with their tail tucked in between their legs because they feel like I'm not good enough. But the fact of the matter is, as Christians especially, we are sons and daughters of God. And we have no reason to live in that kind of fear of being insufficient because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And so if we trust in the Lord and we obey the Lord and we follow the Lord, again, we don't get cocky about this. We don't get arrogant. We don't get, we don't get uh, puffed up. We, we recognize that anything that's good about us is, is because of what God did in our lives. He made us who we are. And uh, so let's accept who God made us to be and accomplish what God's called us to do and live without fear because God's called us to accomplish something, just find out what it is and do it, right? So then you have the, the uh, fear that is, comes because we are ignorant of the truth about our circumstances. We look at the trials we go through and we say, uh, what was that old song my grandpa used to sing? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, right? Uh, sometimes we feel that way. I'm the only one who's having all this trouble and nobody else has it so bad and and it's just awful, and my life is a, is a mess, and, and I'm always, always on the bottom end of things. But the fact of the matter is, if we are going through struggles, and we're going through trials, there's a purpose behind them, and God is working in our lives. I have been through things, and you have been through things that I wish I hadn't gone through. And trials, and difficulties, some, some my own fault, and some because of something somebody else has done to me, Right? And, and I find myself going, why did this happen? But then I say, I have to make a choice and say, Lord, I know you are in charge. All things, Romans eight twenty eight work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And it's not like Joseph thought or Jacob, Jacob thought all these things are not against me. There's a purpose behind it. Let's find out what it is. Let's trust God. And recognize that we need to sing through our circumstances, not weep and wail and cry and grumble and complain. Uh, Pastor Ennis one time gave me some advice. Is don't get down, embrace it. God brought this into your life for a purpose, right? And that was very good advice. So we have to be like that little bird on page three. And sing in spite of the fact that sometimes we feel like we're caged up. That's what Paul and Silas did in Acts chapter 16. They were in jail for serving the Lord in Philippi. And somebody lied about him and they, they mistreated him. 
And they got locked in the stocks in the inner prison, and God heard them singing and praising, and he sent an earthquake, not because their singing was bad, but because he wanted them to be free. And he allowed them to come out of the prison, right? And then the Philippian jailer was paying attention. Now the prisoners were paying attention. The Philippian jailer, who had been probably the guy who locked them in the prison and put the chains on them and, uh, and may have beaten them before he put them in there, took them home and nursed their wounds and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and his whole family got to come to know the Lord. Because rather than being down over their circumstances, they recognized God's presence in the circumstances and they didn't live in fear of their circumstances. They embraced them and were used, used as a solid testimony for the Lord. All right, so ignorance about God, about people, about ourselves, and about our circumstances. Let's go to the next page, page four. Guilt, we talked about this. Whenever you know that you've done something wrong, you're always looking over your shoulder. There's somebody going to catch me. Uh, and uh, and uh, we are concerned about that. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. I just feel like somebody's going to get me. I feel like, I'd feel like I'm going to get caught. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. You do what's right, you don't have a reason to feel guilt, right? Stay innocent, you don't have to feel guilt. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and discipline or sound judgment. King James says a sound mind. We can have peace in our hearts knowing that we have a clear conscience. We've done what was right and, and everything is taken care of. Guilt exaggerates our consequences, making us feel like everything's against us. It, it interprets life's uncomfortable circumstances in the worst light. It makes us feel like everything's against us. It imagines fear and terror when there isn't a reason to be afraid. And sometimes that's the way we live. And that's an awful way to live. And the answer is to repent. If you know you've done something wrong, repent of it. Go to the person. The Bible talks about if, if you know there's something between you and the Lord and you want to go worship the Lord, but then the Lord pricks your conscience and says, there's something between me and another person. You go to that person, you make it right first. Then you come to the Lord. That's how we deal with this thing. That's how we have a clear conscience with one another. That's how we have a clear conscience with God. We seek forgiveness and change and transformation and, and to know that there's nothing that anybody can hold over our heads. And remember now, we have to learn to accept the fact that God has forgiven us. I hear all the time people saying, you have to forgive yourself. Have you ever heard that phrase? I ha- you, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. Well, what have you done again? I never go around punching myself. I never go around pinching myself. I don't go stealing money out of my own pocket. No, I sin against other people. I sin against God. I I sin against God's commands. So I don't have to forgive myself. I go to the people that I've wronged and deal with it. I go to God and ask His forgiveness. And then I have to believe it when God says, if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And so it's not a matter of forgiving yourself, it's a matter of accepting God's forgiveness. See the difference? And if a holy God, who's never sinned, never slipped up and used God's name in vain, never yelled and screamed and hollered a curse word when he hit himself with a hammer, never went over the speed limit, never did anything wrong, if he can look at you and say you're forgiven, then if he can forgive you, 
You need to accept that and believe it's true. And then we need to be that way for other people. Micah chapter 7, look at verse page 4. There's, there's several verses I put in there, a little more than what I had last week. I just want you to get these from a scriptural point of view. Micah 7, who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He'll grind it into the ground. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 38, verse 17. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. You have cast all my sins behind your back. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, and the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I, God, will not remember your sins. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, we read this last week. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Boy, what a wonderful thing. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning. That's guilt. All day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's guilt. My vitality was drained away with the fervent heat, fervent heat of summer. That's guilt. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed my sins. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I'll say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. And you, God, forgave the guilt of my sins. What a wonderful thing. David embraced that. He didn't forgive himself. He accepted God's forgiveness. Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their iniquities and their sin. I will remember no more. Wow. I've heard people say, I can forgive that person, but I can't forget them. Forget it. Be careful about that statement. I do understand. There is a wound sometimes that's hard to deal with. But you need to learn to forgive and try to move on the best that you can. God does that. And we need to do the same. Let's go on to page five. Number, cause number three. What is another reason for, for sinful fear? Running from God. Unbelief. A failure to believe God. John Flavel says, the weaker the faith, the greater the fear. Unbelief generates fear, and fear strengthens unbelief. The more we fear, the, more, the, more, the less we believe. The, the less we believe, the more we fear. And it's just kind of a vicious cycle. I just don't trust God. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. But through the eyes of faith, we can understand, because God says he'll forgive us, because God says we're uh, his children, because we are all right, he's... He's forgotten it and forgiven us, then we are okay with him. We have a clean slate. Everything's been erased. But instead, we want to do this thing kind of like that bowl there in the middle of the page where we want to grab a hold of our life and say, well, I'm just going to work my way through this thing and I'll figure this out and I'll straighten this out. And if you've ever tried to ride a bowl, I think cowboys, they're proud if they make it eight seconds. Right? How long did you stay on, David? <laughs> David said, I'm not doing that. Right. But sometimes that's the way we think we are. We're going to wrestle this thing to the ground and we're just going to, we're going to hang on and we're going to work our way through this. I can do this. No, we have a God who can control these hard circumstances and we need to believe him and do things his way and let him calm the mighty bowl of our life and bring things under control. John Flavel says this, believers have this advantage. They have committed by faith all that is precious and value to them into God's hands. 
I don't have to walk around trying to keep everything. I trust it to God, and he takes care of me. All right? Sometimes the harder we grasp it, the easier it is to get away from us. But when we trust it to God, he takes care of us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. When you're in trouble, take it to the Lord and leave the burden there. Say, Lord, please help me through this. I'm going to trust you. I don't know how this is going to come out. I've been there. Believe me, I have been there. I know one time I lived in the city of San Francisco without a paycheck for an entire year, and I didn't know how that was going to work, and God took care of us. I know one time I was between ministries in New England and coming back here and lived in a house that somebody took care of and paid for, and I didn't know how we were going to get through it, and we got through it. So try to figure it out yourself. You're going to find yourself in trouble. Trust the Lord, and he can and will take care of you. Now, you do your part, but you leave the rest to God, what you can't do. The wisest thing we can do is to trust God with our lives, not to try to look out for number one. And I'm going to figure my life out. Teenagers, you need to get this. Don't figure this out on your own. Go to God. Ask Him what He wants you to do. Give your life to Him. And He'll make it very clear what He wants you to do. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Not just a little bit on Sunday or Wednesday night. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways. Every decision you make, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Why would you do that? What is one of God's great characteristics? Omniscient. What is omniscient? Theology time. What is omniscient? All-knowing. The God who knows everything knows the answer to your problem, so take it to him instead of trying to figure it out yourself. Okay? Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Lord, this is where I want to go, but if you want to change the path, that's okay. I'll go where you want me to go. Right? True success. Read that with me, the bottom of page 5. True success equals what? Finding God's will and doing it. Say that again. True success equals finding God's will and doing it. That's where you will find success. That's where you will find happiness. There's great peace in knowing that God's in control. Number four, page six. Fourth reason we are fear is because of confusion. We misunderstand life's trials. Again, we look at life and we say, this is a tangled up mess. I don't know how I got to where we are. Uh, I have a friend, Ben Averson, has got a song. Um, it's called Blueprints or something like that. He says, it wasn't supposed to go like this. Divorce wasn't on my list. That sickness wasn't on my list. This wasn't the plan for me. I didn't know that person was going to die. I didn't know I was going to lose that job. It's a mess. I don't know how to happen. But we know that if we commit these things to God, he gets us through these things, and he can still use this, and he can find a place for us, And he can bring peace to us. Never interpret the eternal outcome of your life in the light of present day circumstances. Oh man. Sometimes you get caught in the ditch, don't you? Sometimes you have a hard time. 
Sometimes you wreck a car on the highway, right? That doesn't mean your life's over. It means pause for a second. What's God teaching me here? There's something down the road for me because of this. You look sometimes and you say, it looks like the bad people are winning and the, and the, and the good people are losing. I think I hear that politically in our nation sometimes. Don't, don't, don't succumb to that. God is still on the throne. And we need to keep trusting him and working through it with him and allowing him to do our part, yes, but trust God to work out the details. And you just do what's right and let God take care of it. The wicked people will always persecute, you, persecute the righteous people. It started with Cain in the Garden of Eden or outside the Garden of Eden when his brother Abel did right and God blessed and accepted him and Cain got upset and angry about it and took him, took him out with a club or something. And that's happened all through history. And Christians have been persecuted. Uh, Psalm 57 talks about my soul being among lions. Uh, Psalm 124 says, if I didn't know the Lord was on my side, I would be given up. But because the Lord is on our side, we don't need to give up. We know that in the end, he's going to win. Remember, they took the Son of God and drove nails into his hands and put a crown of thorns on his head and stuck a spear in his side and hung him up naked for the world to see where he died for our sins. And the wicked looked like they were winning. But what happened that day? Satan bruised Jesus' heel, but Jesus crushed his head, right? God is winning in spite of what looks like we're losing. All sorts of people through the scriptures have been tried and put through persecution. But when they put their trust in the Lord, they understood that they were on the winning side. You can go on and look at that a little bit more. Remember, don't look at your present circumstances and say, I need to be fearful. Look at your present circumstances and say, how are you going to get me through this, God? I will trust you and will walk with you. Let me hold your hand and get through this. Page number seven, pray, wait, and trust. Again, we know that all things, verse, verse eight, chapter Romans eight twenty six. we do not know how to pray as we should. Sometimes we pray and I say, Lord, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we trust in God's goodness and we keep on going. And we've got to remember that in spite of all of the difficulties we go through in this life, and I'm rushing through a little bit because I don't want, to, don't want to run out of time. Psalm chapter 30 and verse 4 and 5 reminds us that weeping may be for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We are going to have struggles in this life. And it may very well be that we do like that man we talked about last week. We end up as Christians standing for our faith. And we may end up being burned at a stake for our faith. But we haven't lost. Because like Stephen in Acts chapter 8, I think it is. He was being stoned to death for his faith. And he looks up and he sees the Son of God sitting on the, standing at the right hand, welcoming him to heaven. And there was a martyr's crown waiting for him. And we win on the other side. Remember that. Revelation chapter 21, bottom of page 7. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer, no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things that passed away, and he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. Yeah, we may have struggles in this life. But if you know the Lord is your Savior, you know you're going to get through it. And there's something on the other side. Now let's get into the new material quickly over the last 20 minutes or so here. Immoderation, cause number five. That's a word we don't use a lot. But basically it's saying we are out of balance. We, we live too much for this life and forget the next one. We do need to live our lives here. We need to pay our bills. And we need to be kind to people. And we need to obey the laws of the land. And we need to, we need to, uh, to go to work. The Bible says if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. There's all those, all those practical principles of life that are here in the Word of God. But remember, no matter what happens down here, this is not the end. You and I are going to end up someplace for all of eternity. There's only two places. It's heaven and hell. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're going that way. If you don't, you're going that way, and that's just, that's just the way it is. There's nowhere in between. There's no holding cell anywhere. The rich man died being in tor- and, 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 and lifted up his eyes being in torment. He went to hell while the beggar in Luke chapter 16 went to Abraham's bosom, went into the presence of the Lord. It happens that minute. Close your eyes on one side, you open them up on another side, and you go, oh, this is where I ended up. And know that's going to be where you're going to be forever. So, what do we need to do with that? Don't hold this life too closely if you're a believer. Spend it. Invest it in the cause of Jesus Christ. Send your investments ahead by obeying the Lord and letting Him reward you for it. That doesn't mean you're morbid and always thinking about dying and, you know... I can't wait till they put me in the box. No, that's not the way it is. No, down here, be joyful and serve the Lord. But do everything that you can. Make every action count for the cause of Jesus Christ. And look for the reward on the other side. Balance this life and the next one. Don't forget the next one. Most of us live our lives forgetting that there's another one coming. Don't we? We get so wrapped up in the present day. We forget that there's a future. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Some of you are looking at me going, yeah, that's crazy. Well, it is over the top a little bit, isn't it? It's just saying, I love the Lord more than I love anything else, including myself. That doesn't mean that you hate, I love my mother. I'm hoping, well, I can't say anything. Her birthday's coming up. And I want to do something nice for her, right? And I want to do nice things for my wife, and I want to do nice things for my family. And I like to do nice things for you once in a while, too. But I really want to serve the Lord. That's what I really want to do. 
So that should be our goals in life. Abraham set an example of this by looking for things beyond. It says in, in uh, I didn't put the reference down, it's in Genesis. He said he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see that picture there in the middle of page 8. Far greater things await the child of God. We can look down in our city and say, this is really nice sometimes. But that's going to be great. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what I'm shooting for. I love Colossians chapter 3. These verses, when I was in college, really transformed my life. I was kind of getting wrapped up in some things I shouldn't have gotten wrapped up in down here. And I came across these verses in Colossians chapter 3, and it just, wow, really got a hold of me. And I'm not going to read it all, but the first few verses there. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things here on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. We have things to look forward to that unsaved people know nothing about. We don't need to envy sinners. We don't need to be arrogant about it, but we need to be very grateful for what awaits us and to work towards doing everything we can to send our treasures ahead to heaven. This is how the Apostle Paul in verse nine, or page 9, this is how the Apostle Paul could undergo such earthly activities and trouble, troubles that he went to. You remember there's a passage of scripture, he says, I was beaten often, shipwrecked often, in jail all the time. Once I got stoned, I've been left for dead, I've been all this sort of things, but... He says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my course with joy, the King James says, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He wanted to finish his course. Now, I don't know what your course is. I don't even know exactly all of what my course is. But I know I want to take the next step for the Lord and the next step for the Lord and the next step for the Lord and we will find ourselves at the end of the course at some point if we're walking with the Lord and knowing that we have finished what he wanted us to do. One of the great statements that Jesus made, and it's really hard to believe, he says, I accomplished everything, I can't remember the exact wording, I have done everything I was sent here to do. Have you ever felt that? I haven't. But I'm working towards it, and I hope you are. Page 9. Immoderation makes preserving our life the top priority. Again, instead of thinking about the future, we're just thinking about, I just got to get through this. I got to live. I got to stay alive. Satan hoped that Job would think this way when seeking permission from God to tempt him. And in Job chapter 2, you know, all the things that God allowed to happen to Job. He allowed houses to get knocked down. He allowed uh, his wealth to be taken away. He allowed, allowed his, his herds uh, of his cattle and his sheep and some of his, his slaves, to be, uh, servants, to be taken away. Even his own children killed. And Job, uh, Job still maintained his integrity before God. He still trusted God. Job chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? But there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without a cause. 
And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to his face. Job uh, was going to worship God no matter what happened to him. Later on, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But Satan said, no, if I kill him, he'll, if, I, if I make him think he's going to die, he'll turn his back on God. And so he brought, God said, okay, try. And he brought all kinds of trouble to him. And in all this, Job sinned not. And he kept his eyes on the Lord. That's the way we need to respond. The kind of thinking that says, my life is the only thing that matters. I've got to keep my life is what kept Esau from the blessing of God. Remember Jacob fixed that mess of pottage? Esau's been out hunting. He's been out working. He's, he's hungry. And he comes in and he smells that, hmm, I want some of that. And Jacob says, give me your birthright and I'll give you some. He said, all right, I'll give it to you. I'm going to die anyway. You might as well have it. So he gave everything up because all he wanted to do was preserve his life over a pot of stew rather than thinking about things over the long haul. Immoderation makes preserving our life the top priority. Immoderation leads us to fear our death as the greatest of all evils. Sometimes we think that's the worst thing that could happen to me is that I could die. Honestly, honestly, I can say this with all my heart. I'm not looking forward to dying. I'm not trying to go out and go through the streets of the city and get myself killed. That's not what I want. But if the Lord takes me home, I'm not worried about it because I know where I'm going. I tell people sometimes, don't threaten me with heaven. Really. Immoderation leads us to fear our death as the greatest of all evils, but it's not. It's not the greatest of all evils. One of Job's friends, Bildad, personified death as the king of terrors. Job 18, verse 11. All around, terrors frighten him and harry him at every step. His strength is famished and calamity is ready at his side. His skin is devoured by disease. The firstborn of death devours his limbs. He is torn from the security of his tent. Talking about his body, his soul being taken from his tent. And they march him before the king of terrors. What a horrible thing. And death can be a very frightening thing. You think of that grim reaper that's on that page. That can be kind of frightening. Unless you know where you're going. And if you have watched people who have known the Lord and walked with the Lord face death with peace, you understand. You know, we, most people in this life are sheltered from that. Most people in this life are not around when somebody dies. They, sh- they put them off in a hospital or they put them off in hospice and someplace else and nobody's really there when it happens. But I have been there or I've actually had to close the eyes of a Christian who died and to see the smile on his face. I have been there when I was singing to my grandmother as she passed into heaven and knew there was joy all the way to the end. On top of page 10, you see a picture of a man there in the right-hand corner. That's my brother. For eight years, he fought cancer. And towards the end of his life, the doctors told him, he said, we've been fighting this, we've been fighting this, we've done everything we can do. We've given you surgery, we've given you radiation, we've given you chemo, we've done everything we can do. We can't nail it, it's going to get you. And it really hit my brother hard. But it didn't hit, hit him frightening. He stopped and he said, okay. I'm going to heaven. Let's get ready. 
You ought to listen to that message sometime. It's there on Sermon Audio, and there's a link to it there on page 10. And I can tell you, I was there when he died. And I can tell you the impact of his life because he wasn't fearful in death was amazing on the people, the doctors, the nurses, the people in the bed beside him. Because he did not live in fear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The greatest fear you need to have is dying without the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't taken care of that, you have reason to fear. But it can be taken care of in a moment by coming to the place of faith where you recognize what Jesus did for you and trusting him as your Savior. And you can be born again just like that and have the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's an amazing thing. In the late 1520s, a man named Martin Luther, you've heard of him, 500 years ago, wrote a hymn, and I can't pronounce it in German. Uh, Deb, can you pronounce that? Yeah, what she said. All right. In English, it says, a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. You put your trust in God no matter what comes your way, even death. You do not have to fear. The, the hymn ends with the phrase, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's something to live for, folks. That will take fear away from you when you know what you're living for. Last cause. Let's very quickly, got to hit this, the last five minutes here, is Satan. You know, Satan puts all kinds of thoughts in our minds. He can be very influential. He even tempted the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, remember? Trying to get him to eat bread he wasn't supposed to eat, jump off a pinnacle of a temple, fall down and worship him. And every time, what was the answer? Jesus came back to him with scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. Satan thinks he's going to win. He's done everything that he can to try to win and try to get everybody to go with him in his victory. And everyone who goes with him is going to end up in defeat. In Job chapter 1 and verse 12, we see that Satan brought a mighty wind and knocked down a house upon Job's children. So we know that, Job, that Satan does have some power. He does have some strength. And humanly speaking, we need, have need to fear him. But we need to remember that he is not going to win. Look in, at page 11, uh, number, uh, and I, the top of the page there, Isaiah 14. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning? This is a, a, an indication of who Satan is and what it was like when he was in heaven, or before he fell into sin. How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have been we, you, have, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the race, recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Ezekiel talks about it a little bit more, but then you go down to Luke chapter 10, and Jesus said, I was there when they cast Satan out of heaven. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Satan is a defeated foe. He is not going to win. God is going to defeat him. God has defeated him. He defeated him at the cross. The Apostle Paul describes Satan and his followers as being beautiful deceivers who do their best to disguise themselves. 2 Corinthians 11, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So Satan, on the next page, the last page of the notes today, Satan does have a measure of freedom right now to tempt us, to try to draw us into his lair. The Bible talks about him being like a roaring lion, going about seeking whom he may devour. And he may win a few little skirmishes here and there along the way. He may knock down a few houses. He may put some fear into some people's hearts. He may cause some people to fall into sin, including you and me. But in the end, he loses. In the end, he's taken care of. The prince of the power of the air is going to be defeated. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus said there's an eternal fire which has been, been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what it, hell was made for. It wasn't made for men. God doesn't want anybody to go there. That's why Jesus came to rescue us from that, because those who are in sin are going to end up with Satan. But those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior are going to make it to heaven. Satan is a defeated foe. His eternal fate is assured. God will reign victorious over the devil who frightens us. And when we walk with the Lord, we need not fear, for we know that we are on the winning side. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. The end of the Bible. The end of the story. Looking way into eternity. or however, It may be a few days. It may be a few years. It may be a few thousand years. I don't know when it will be. But one day we're going to see the end of the story. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And Satan will be done. And those who know Jesus Christ as Savior are going to be living in the glories of heaven forever. I hope that you're going there with me. I hope that you have confidence in what God has done for you. I know that you don't have to live in fear if you believe what God's word has said. When we fear God properly, we need not fear anything or anyone else, whether it be Satan or circumstances or people or anything else. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will give you the peace in your heart that passes all understanding. Let's stand together and we'll close with a word of prayer.